All right, welcome back to the Black Techies podcast, where black culture meets the world of technology. I'm your host, David, and uh, joined with her and also with a very special guest. Uh, <laughs> um, today is going to be a very interesting episode, uh, as you can probably tell by the title. Um, we're going to be talking esports. And to join us, we have Mr. John Cash, or I, I guess I, I should say Professor John Cash from Johnson C. Smith University. Uh, uh, sir, would you, uh, oh, yeah, Ashley, would you mind uh, introducing yourself and just kind of t- telling us, telling us <laughs> what, uh, what you do, you know, what you teach, or you know, all that kind of stuff? Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on Black Techies. I'm I'm thankful for this. So thank you both Herbert and David on behalf of Johnson C. Smith University specifically, but the HBCU nation in general. I'm glad to be here. I'm an HBCU graduate. And one way I look at giving back to HBCUs is by teaching and sharing. And the opportunity presented itself for me to become an adjunct professor five years ago at Johnson C. Smith University. Um, I do quite a bit in uh, sport entertainment, and I've actually, one of the things that got me into this is that I launched the first two multimedia rights entities um, for HBCUs. I work for Learfield IMG, and I launched that property for the MEAC. So the MEAC was the first HBCU property uh, conference to be signed um, with Learfield IMG, which arguably is the largest multimedia rights group, has about 70% of all Power Five schools. And then turned that around and did it with Van Wagner Sport Entertainment when the CIAA was looking for a new multimedia rights uh, firm. And so I did the same thing. And you might think, well, what's multimedia rights have to do with CIAA and HBCU? It's very important. These organizations help drive revenue by selling sponsorships and marketing for the athletic programs. So the MEAC conference and the CIAA conference, the other two, of course, are the SWAC and the SIAC. And as you might know, for predominantly white institutions, football and basketball revenues make it possible for a lot of things to happen on campus. So while teaching sport entertainment, I'm a, I'm a research zealot. I bow down to market research. I noticed that um, there was a tremendous growth in esports. Now, I think it's we need to really share that in context so people can understand. We've been gaming since pinball machines, okay? So that's basically the, the essence of gaming. And then about 40 years ago, you had what? Pong. Everybody was playing with this little white ball on the screen going back and forth. Esports is just a uh, continued evolution and starts and stands for electronic sports, of course. And the, the essence of esports is that it is competitive. And primarily, you'll have five or six individuals playing against each other. Now, I know you cats probably grew up with NFL Madden and NBA 2K and st- probably still playing like me. And that's all well and good. That's usually individual. But with esports, they st- started to group it and have teams together. And I think the essence of it is it really started in South Korea and uh, grew in China, Japan, and the U.S. around 2008, 2009, and really took off in the States, I would say around 2012, 2013. Mm. And now it's an international, multi-billion dollar industry. So if I was to share with you, if I was to say FinTech or cybersecurity as two growing industries, you'd be like, oh yeah, I got it, most people, right? But when you say esports, people are like, uh, what is that? I don't really understand. So again, esports is like electronic sports, is really team competition. 
Um, I tried to give you an idea that NFL, Madden, and NBA 2K have now graduated to whether it's League of Legends, Fortnite, which is very popular mm-hmm. within the African-American yeah. audience. That's all part of esports. Uh, I basically put together a proposal because, again, guys, I'm a businessman. I just teach because that's my way of giving back to my HBCU universities. I put together a business proposal, shared it with the president, the dean, and my direct report. Long story short, I was able to develop a program uh, summer of 2019. I uh, got support after the um, in the fall, put together the program, and launched it this spring. We launched our first course, e- Intro to Esports. We just finished our semester. But in addition, during this, this semester, Dr. Williams, who oversees the, uh, that's not the right word to use. We don't use oversee, so let me take that back. <laughs> who, who's, who basically uh, manages the esports uh, sport entertainment curriculum at Johnson C. Smith. We developed both the curriculum, which now means that JCSU has a minor in esports, and we have a certificate program that's approved. So starting in fall 2020, we'll be able to offer full service a a minor and a certificate program in esports. So after that long diatribe, I'll put a pin in it and get you guys, uh, let you guys respond and anything else you want to share. No, that's well, that's. I mean, that's excellent. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'll let I'll let her go ahead and, and start off. Well, first, I, I just want to say again, thank you to Professor Cash for, you know, being able to join us. Um, one of the things about our, you know, our audience, or at least the audience that we try to target, um, are is things like this, you know, uh, aspects of the culture that we could carve our own niche out of. And esports, it's crazy because, you know, we talk about technology and gaming a lot. And, you know, gaming on HBCU campuses is already embedded in the culture. I, I'm Honestly, if you've gone on to any HBCU campus, spent any time, you know, matriculating as a student, you know, in our lifetimes or, or during the time that we've gone to school, you know, whether it's a cat playing Killer Instinct in the game room or being in the dorm, you know, throwing down on some Madden or some FIFA or any number of games, the culture is already there. And with the advent of esports as a really professionalized, organized monetary entity, it's it's really cool to see. It's really cool to see somebody have the vision for our schools to have a piece of that pie. And that's something that you know, both myself, Dave, our other host that's, you know, unfortunately not on the show right now, but uh, uh, Dominique, who's uh, who's a League of Legends guy, compet- borderline competitive League of Legends guy that likes to play. Um, we love seeing stuff like this. And, you know, it's, it's great to have you on the show. Um, one of the things that I wanted to really pick your brain about um was how HBCU administrations view okay. esports, and I think we kind of touched on this, you know, briefly when we were kind of setting up this interview. Um, and what are some of the challenges that you got that you've run into in terms of shopping the idea that esports could be a very lucrative um, vehicle for exposure for HBCUs? Um, I think overall. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Blackish, and 
quite frankly, I believe in the quote, and I've had a chance to meet Anthony Anderson in the past, you can track everything back to slavery, but in, with the, um, with the African-American audience, but I'm going to give you the cliff note version. Um, at the end of the day, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina. You walk the UNC campus um, in Chapel Hill, you walk the UNCC champions campus, which is University of North Carolina, Charlotte, right up the street. <clears throat> and you'll get a different dichotomy as far as investment versus when you come to JCSU in Charlotte or Livingstone College in Salisbury. We've always been getting the short end of the stick. Um, I'm not going to get into the political piece here, but that continues. There is a study out that I think is really compelling. The top seven PWIs bring in like billions of dollars. And then all of the other HBCUs combined, when we're talking about endowments for last year, billions, the top seven. The top, all of the HBCUs combined, I think brought in like $43 million. So that's the problem right there. When in doubt, like my grandfather said, when in doubt, just follow the money trail. So the administrations, our HBCU administrations, even when I was back in school, we're always looking at giving our students the quality education they need, investing in what we can. And sometimes we're behind the curve on innovation and we just don't have the funds. And that's what it goes back to. That's why when I put together the proposal for the president, who is really a finance guy, my goal was to show and illustrate the opportunity in the industry that is something that will be compelling for our students and give them additional means to launch lucrative careers in companies. Then to show the revenue stream opportunity or the return on investment for the university. And the return on investment always doesn't come down to dollars and cents. Return on investment is things like this. When I'm broadcasting this out, who knows how many people are hearing it. To give you an idea, I've done about 12 interviews since January. Um, print TV, regular TV, online. So that message is manifesting itself out in the universe. And I get calls. I'll give you an example. I just put on LinkedIn yesterday celebrating that we finish our first semester with eSport. I received more LinkedIn hits than ever, and I've been on LinkedIn for over 10 years, approximately 3,500 so far, 3,500, So, and over 140 comments. So that's what I'm saying, that there is a presence out there. But to get back to your point, the universities have their priorities, and it's very difficult sometimes to share those priorities. We have a lemming mentality sometimes with HBCUs. We want to see the other people in the industry or PWIs do it first, then we'll run behind it when it's proven. When I say proven, it has a track record because I already gave you that this is an international multi-billion dollar industry. I already shared with you that PWIs, what I'm sharing with you now, there are over 60 PWIs that have esports courses, curriculums, or certificates. There are over 200 PWIs that actually have certified teams to have a team, you have to have a certified coach, else all you can have is an eSport clubs. So I don't know, Herbert, how do we really address that with our universities and administration? We just have to keep showing them the facts. I'm driven by fact-based analysis. And if the opportunity is there, I wanna make sure we're sharing it with our students. And Herbert, you mentioned something very insightful 
that there is already a huge community of esports and gamers on campus. So it'll be a collective of the students, the faculty, and the administration, hopefully, to push this. But I am thankful to say that I feel that the trend is growing for HBCUs. You have Hampton University, which received a $342,000 grant last summer. They're going to be building arguably the, the best initial HBCU esport lab and training lab. You have the NCC, North Carolina Central University. They are focusing on web-based design applications for esports. You have several other universities that are interested, and you have some major e-clubs at university, HBCUs, including Morehouse and FAMU, as well as Johnson C. Smith. So this tide will continue to roll. Roll tide. Where did that come from? Uh, let me yeah. We're not doing Alabama. <laughs> school. Way wrong school for me. But anyway, um, we hope this trend will continue, and I think it will, because there's money to be made. There are great careers to be had, and we need to close this digital to divide. And I just hope that the administration continues to see the growth and opportunities um, that this industry will provide us as um, African-American um, students, alumni, businessmen, and future leaders in this, in this industry. I have a question, actually, as far as the financial aspect. So obviously, uh, trying to start an esports team uh, or even club or team program uh, or, you know, a club takes, could take a substantial amount. Well, actually, no. Let me start over. So when you look at the athletic uh, at the athletic department, right? Football, mm -hmm. basketball. Yep. Obviously, it takes a lot of money to run those kinds of programs. Right. But when you get to esports, is it true that you don't have to necessarily worry about some of the financial overhead that it comes with running physical uh, sports programs? Like, you don't have to worry about buying uniform necessarily or a practice field or anything like that. Is that, I mean, is it, do you think it would be easier to, to, to start a, a team or a program because of that, or am I just not seeing everything? No, I, I think you're right. Uh, overall, the costing is reduced in a football or basketball program. You have initial investment costs, of course, sunk costs, um, and that's really driven by our infrastructure. So I talked to you about a University of North Carolina compared to a Johnson C. Smith, Uni um, Johnson C. Smith University. For the biggest piece is infrastructure, and I'm talking about having the proper broadband and internet uh, mm. capabilities, having the right hardware, whether that's coming from Microsoft or Intel, so you can build a platform, and then have the streaming capabilities, i.e. tying into with Twitch. And remember that, uh, ask me about Twitch. Say, what did you mean by Twitch? I'll talk to you about that in a second. But once you have those three entities, then you can have the capabilities to perform well. We have universities within our, H within our HBCUs you can't even get a Wi-Fi signal in your gym. So yeah. again, we yeah. have to get that infrastructure um, taken care of first. Then we have to start building out what it is. And we don't need $800 computers. We can get by with $300 computers. We don't need $2,000 gaming chairs. We can go to the Office Depot and buy in bulk or Amazon and help make Bezos a, a trillionaire even quicker buying online, right? <laughs> but. Um, You'll have less less cost infrastructure-wise, and hopefully the equipment will last longer. But this is the way that I conceptually think universities should look at it. 
At the end of the day, you have all type of suppliers and contractors selling to universities. Mm. At, at the end of the day, you're going to buy toilet paper from either Georgia Pacific or Kimberly Clark, right? So if Georgia Pacific and Kimberly Clark is doing all this business on campus, they should be giving something back in forms of internships, job opportunities, investing in programs, what have you. No different than the technical area. If we're looking at AT&T, Verizon, Dell, Microsoft, Twitch, Mixer, whoever, they should be looking at, if they're doing business with us, what are they doing to provide to benefit to us? And then, of course, I have to talk about what? Our alumni. When you look at <laughs> alumni giving for HBCUs uh, versus you know other audiences, now I know there's a lot of economic, socioeconomic divide and everything else, but we can do more as alumni. And again, build up our programs. But those are opportunities, I feel, that we can finance to start building the program. So looking at our suppliers at the universities, look at industry opportunities of people who are in this industry because they're doing the same thing with PWIs. Look at the opportunity with our alumni. So those are three things that I would push and try to continue to, to leverage to grow our opportunities. I mean, you have the Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's of the world giving to all types of universities. Well, we have the Jay-Z's and Beyonce's and Robert Smith's that also can help give. And again, I'm not trying to call them out because they do a tremendous job in the African-American community. Everybody knows what Robert Smith has done. Um, everybody knows Jay-Z and Beyonce's giving, but just examples of others. You don't have to be a billionaire. You don't have to be a millionaire to give back. I think when we look at it, if you can just give a, if everybody gave a little, it would go a long way. Um, I mean, uh, Professor Cash is absolutely right. And I think one of the things that um, it's bothersome as, a, you know, all of us here are HBCU products. Dave uh, went to North Carolina A&T in, in Tennessee State. Um, I matriculated at Alabama State. Um, you know, yeah, forget real time. We don't, we don't talk about them. Um, <laughs> but... I mean, that's always going to be a challenge for our institutions in terms of where we can find money for endowments, where we can find sponsorships, where we can find, you know, the resources necessary to kickstart things. And the thing about esports is that the overhead for starting a program or starting a club isn't really that much. And right. just to have a presence on campus. And I think, you know, I think back to my time at school at Alabama State you know, during the 90s, late, you know, the mid 90s. And it didn't take a lot to, you know, go into a dorm room and, and, and pop in the, you know, game on PlayStation 2, you know, or your Nintendo, you know, or go to the CAF and play and, and have, you know, we had clubs then, you know, playing Tekken mm -hmm. and Killer Instinct and a number of games. So I think that grassroots type of mentality in terms of starting you know, esports organizations on campus is what needs to start. And that, you know, I think that would go, it would go a long way to have student organizations, you know, put pressure on your, on your student admins and your school admins and say, hey, look, this is popular. You know, we want this on campus. What do we have to do to have it? And, you know, you look at entities that already, you know, sponsor collegiate esports like NACE, you know, that's where yeah. that's where the most visibility is in terms of, um, you know, collegiate visibility for the sport. Um, there's no reason why we can't have a CIAA or a MEAC or a SWAC 
or or GCAC or anybody, you know, put together coalition for esport HBCU gamers, and that's kind of, you know, this isn't like the NCAA where it's, everything is you know overseen by an authority. It's still kind of like the Wild West in terms of where where we can build alliances and form partnerships. And I think me observing the growth of esports, you know, my opinion is, is that, you know, we can form our own alliances. You know, mm-hmm. we already do it for sports. We already do it for bowl games. We already do it in lieu of, in some cases, in lieu of the one AA playoffs, you know, where we play amongst ourselves. In this case, this could be very lucrative because, we can get our own sponsorships. We can path up, you know, chart our own pathways for, you know, specific entities that we can invest in. And, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that is, you know, is it's a vehicle to attract an entirely new generation of students. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said, you know, for programs like Johnson C. Smith and Hampton and North Carolina Central, you know, really taking you know, being the tip of the spear in terms of, you know, really being proactive in bringing this to campuses. So, you know, you know, it's funny, um, either it was last year or maybe a few, a few, few years ago, we had an episode specifically about new media and how the technology is shifting where, you know, people aren't necessarily reading newspapers or sitting down to watch the news, you know, they're getting all of their information through social media or uh, the internet in some way. And so now you have this shift, well, I won't say shift, but then you, ha- you have this whole new avenue of esports uh, that's different from, you know, from the, from the norm. And like you said, it's kind of the Wild West right now. And I mean, you still have people kind of trying to figure out how to really get this thing organized especially obviously around uh, hbcus but it's kind of interesting now especially now with this whole COVID 19 situation and how everyone's being forced to be away from each other now esports is starting to become like the thing to do because you can't watch any other sports <laughs> so uh so now exactly. esports is kind of uh becoming that that intermediary i guess in fact um nascar you know since they can't have actual nascar races they they use uh e-nascar that's the actual thing that the actual nascar organization does and the uh the drivers get behind virtual cars or virtual you know the the little wheels or whatever and they they race for real um uh if i'm not mistaken i think espn uh broadcasted an nba 2k tournament or something like that yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, they've been doing. Yeah, they've been doing a player tournament. Right. They've yeah. been doing talking play, about play NASCAR. Last month. Yeah, you're talking about NASCAR right here in Charlotte. They've averaged over a million viewers for the last five months. So arguably, they're almost outgrowing their normal viewership, and they returned to the physical track this week in Darlington, North Carolina, uh, Darlington, South Carolina, but with no fans in the stands. But if you look at how I call it the pandemic pivot. You can either complain about lemons during this time, and of course it is a very deadly time, or you can go make lemonade. There are going to be fortunes that are going to be made in industries and different businesses that are going to crop up. Of course, we have a lot of hardship that's happening too. But just look at what NASCAR has tried to do with their iDrive series. Also, Formula One has done the same thing. 
And then you also have the NBA 2K leveraging their existing players to do tournaments also. So to share that for, um, you know, looking at opportunities that can be had. Go ahead and continue with your point, but I just wanted to mention the NASCAR because it's right here in Charlotte, and I'm in conversations with those individuals to start sharing information for my next course um, at JCSU. Actually, that uh, actually kind of leads me to my next question. So uh, you all, as you pointed out, you all started uh, or starting the um, the esports and gaming management program. So can you kind of briefly describe what that is and what, what does it mean to get that to go through that? Yes, again, we we have our certification, we have our certificate. So the eSport Gaming Management Program, uh, again, encompasses the curriculum and the coursework, the minor program, the certificate program, and then also building out the infrastructure, what I said before, in regards to an eSports team, well, eSports group that support behind it, and then an eSports team. My next step that I'm doing now is developing relationships within the eSport ecosystem. When we describe the eSport ecosystem as being first, your developers and publishers, Activision, Riot Games, some of the makers of some of the top games in the country. They're your developers and we're making relationships with them. I wanted to share that in regards to Twitch. Twitch is a top streaming uh, entity in the world right now. Uh, their competitors include, of course, YouTube, Mixer, uh, Caffeine, other streaming services. But I was working on another project that is eSport and virtual relate, uh, related. Had a time to talk to Twitch. Now I've developed a relationship with them. We're talking curriculum and we're talking internship opportunities. Hopefully paid intern. How about having that on your resume? Well, I think, um, I think the relationship part of what Professor Cash was saying is essential. Um, I mean, not just in terms of building relationships within our own community to, to advance the idea of esports as being part of the culture, but, you know, selling that to people outside of the culture, you know, just like we were just talking about in terms of, you know, software sponsors, platform sponsors. I mean, could you guys really think about Esports being integrated into some of our cultural, you know, fall classes that we got, like, for example, let's say the Southern Heritage Classic has an esports element that goes on for that weekend, or the CIAA tournament, you know, has an esports element that goes on for that weekend. And the Honda Battle of the Bands. Honda <laughs> Battle of the Bands. I mean, there, the potential for this being integrated into the HBCU experience is limitless, literally. And when I think of things like that, I mean, I think about, you know, my own experiences, you know, Alabama State, you know, Magic City Classic, Alabama State, Alabama a and There's so many things going on during that entire weekend. And you could have, you know, tied on to a battle of the bands, you know, a virtualized, e virtualized esports competition between the two schools. Yep. Or you could have an esports tournament like a CIAA, CIAA virtual esports tournament in certain, in certain areas, certain aspects of sports. So I think the idea of being able to really shop that idea to our administrations, because I, and I'll be, you know, I think I, I understand where Professor Cash is coming from in terms of the challenge that is talking to our administrations about very new ideas, because 
you know, for the most part, our administrations are kind of set in a specific viewpoint of how, you know, HBCUs are supposed to conduct themselves, what opportunities they're supposed to present to their students, and how they are supposed to be viewed by the outside world. And that's kind of, that's kind of a challenge in terms of progressing very new ideas, very new ways of drawing revenue to institutions and visibility. So, um, you know, I can really, I can really dig, you know, the challenges that Professor Cash is doing with, because I mean, I've, we've seen them when, in a lot of things in terms of certain schools building, reaching out to certain sponsors, for example. I know Howard University has a partnership with Google, you know, for regular technology, but probably wouldn't have thought about doing anything with esports, you know, even though there's a very substantial esports presence in the DC metro area where we're at. Um, uh, I can just think of, you know, Washington DC has a professional esports team that's made up of mostly high school and college students. And, you know, you have your George Mason, George Mason University in the area that has an esports team. You have George Washington in Georgetown in the area to have an esports team. But, you know, I mean, Bowie, State's has, Bowie State has a cybersecurity program, but right. nothing associated with esports. Or, you know, same thing with Morgan, same thing with Maryland Eastern Shore, a lot of the regional schools. So it's, it's an opportunity. It's really, it really is. And it's something that, you know, it's, um, it's probably going to be a very, it's probably going to be an, uh, initially a very big challenge, you know, changing perspectives, but it's worth the effort to do so because it could really be something transformative for how, how we not only integrate that into the culture, but how we look at gaining access to specific resources where we didn't have resources before. I was definitely going to get into the the stereotype of gamers and you know all of that like how do you how do you overcome that uh when you know <laughs> you know if you, if you tell someone hey i make money by playing video games they you know, look that's at all, you that's already right you, right they <laughs> look at you like you crazy but but then if you show them how much money you can make in video games just by playing video games well then you know like oh you mean you can support a family by being a professional esports player? Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, so. I think the sti- well, I think the stigma for it is has evolved over. It has you know kind of evolved in general, um, particularly with very popular franchises like Madden or FIFA, you know NBA Two K. There's, I mean, Evo. I mean, oh, there's yeah. so yeah. there's so much of there's so much of a of a subculture that is behind that sort of gaming. And, you know, people don't look at it like that anymore. Now they're looking at gamers like, okay, well, damn, this, this dude is, you know, he's putting in buku hours to master this game and he's getting paid for it. You know, that, those, those attitudes are starting to mature a little bit. Um, it wasn't like that before when esports was just coming onto the scene as something viable for people, you know, to be, to be a spectator type of event. Um, but I think one of the challenges, that's one of the challenges that we still have to, that we still have to overcome in terms of HPCU perception of esports. And this is just my observation. You know, I've talked to students, I've talked to alumni about, you know, and from all over in terms of schools, in terms of how they view esports. And it's like, 
well, that's a thing. You can really get paid by playing sports. It's like, yeah, dude, you can really get paid by playing. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where this kind of goes beyond the HBCU experience. And it starts tapping into our Black social experience in terms of how those things are perceived. So gaming, for example, I, I, I guarantee you walk into a household these days and you'll see a parent you know, see a kid that's on PlayStation 2 or PlayStation 3 or 4, and the first idea is, okay, why are you doing that as opposed to reading or doing your schoolwork? You know, and it, it's it one of those... Work, no? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's one of those things that, you know, that can translate into, you know, biases that, that professionals face by, you know, advancing those ideas. So... You know, it's one of those things where it's it's going to be an uphill challenge in some areas. Some schools are ahead of the curve. You know, obviously, Johnson C. Smith, you know, saw the value of it. And, you know, the fact that they've got somebody championing it, like, you know, Professor Cash is, is pretty awesome, in my opinion. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, it may come down to that grassroots type of movement in terms of getting you know, getting folks that play to embrace the idea of, hey, this can be our own little piece of the HBCU culture and we can advance it on campuses, individually. Right. I mean, I, I see uh, even John, even Johnson C. Smith. I mean, I see their, their Twitter page, uh, JCSU Esports. Go follow them. Uh, I see them. <laughs> I see them reaching out to FAMU's uh, uh, video game club. I think that's what it is. FAMU VG, VGC or something like that. So, I mean... I think that if you can get other schools who are doing the same thing, kind of maybe make like a, maybe not maybe not a formal league per se, but maybe like an informal league league or something that kind of matures into something that's more formal, something that's more definite and official, um, then you know that I, HBCUs could definitely lead the way in this, uh, and we have a lot more power than we think we do and i think if we just simply leverage uh if we simply leverage that i think it'll work out in the long run 